Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab your Bible. Get with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. If you don't have a Bible uh, in a seat back somewhere close to you, grab that. Take that home. That's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we've been having to buy more of those, and we love buying more of those because it means some of you without Bibles are leaving with copies of God's Word. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Uh, As you uh, settle in there, let me say this. One of the most dangerous things about lies is that we can believe them. One of the most dangerous things about lies is that we can believe them. If we think about that, we recognize the, the, the inherent danger in deceit, that the, the very foundation of lies are built off of things that are not part of God's reality. And now, let me, let me even kick that up one notch and say this, um, spiritual lies are extremely dangerous. Uh, Lies that that, that propagate uh, what what, what the liar wants you to believe as some deep spiritual truth about God that is not based on the truth of who God is or the gospel of Jesus Christ are extremely dangerous, are they not? And so as we come to this section of this letter, I I want you to to jump your eyes down to the very beginning of chapter 4 in the book of 1 Timothy. And then then I'm going to move us back up to make our way to that. But I want us to see where this passage is going. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some some will what? Depart from what? Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Now, how will they depart from the faith? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Does that not sound heavy? Now, how do these deceitful spirits and teaching of demons come about? Verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And so where this passage is going today is this reality that we all have to acknowledge as we've all gotten up, put on our church clothes, and walked into church here today, that there's this reality that that spiritual lies can abound that seek to lead people from departing from the true faith built on a true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, do you want some good news for that? There's good news for that. Before we get to this part, I believe that God, leading up to this section of the letter, gives us two anchor points, two anchor points of truth that protect us from being led astray from liars who's, by liars whose consciences are seared. There's two anchor points at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we need to like latch onto. That we need to put our, any like rock climbers in here? What are those called where you latch onto things? I, I genuinely don't know. What are they called? You're all saying words that I can't hear. Car- carabiners. Carabiners? <laughs> Sounds like a funny word. I don't rock climb. Okay, I avoid the rock climbing. There's some things we need to latch on to today as it pertains to the church of Jesus Christ and as it pertains to a true confession of who Jesus is. And listen, when I get to that part, I'm going to preach, y'all, okay? I'm fired up for that. I said y'all. I'm from Michigan. I don't know where it comes from. (laughs) But it's a y'all Sunday. And now... It's so crucial that we understand the end of 1 Timothy chapter 3 so that we can latch on to these truth anchors so that this warning of 1 Timothy chapter 4 
can be avoided. And so, um, but the, the whole the whole point of today's message is simply this, and this is a long, this is a long big idea, but I want you to see the repetition in this statement here. God's household is a pillar of God's truth, amen? Proclaiming a true confession of God's son, amen? To protect God's people from lies, amen? And so I know that's a lot there, but I, wa- I want you to, to get this, each part of this. God's household is a pillar of God's truth. We're going to talk about that first. As a pillar of God's truth, we proclaim a true confession of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That protects us as God's people from lies that abound in the culture in which we live. And so let me pray and ask for God's help, and then let's anchor in today so we're not led astray by spiritual lies. Father, uh, please help us. Lord, none of us showed up to church this morning going, you know what, one day I want to be led astray in my faith. Lord, we're here with your word open on our laps in front of us, gathered with other followers of you, Lord, because we want to cling to and hold to a right understanding of the faith that has been passed down to us, God. Uh, Father, I recognize that what happens at this moment right here as your church gathers is only driven to the heart level by the power of your spirit. Spirit of God, do a work among us. Please, we'd, we're desperate for it. As, as Pastor DJ was shepherding, Lord, some of us walk in here sleepy, and not physically sleepy, not physically tired, but our souls are tired. Lord, will you infuse the hope of the gospel into our hearts today? Lord, others of us, we walk in here, we're, we're thrilled and we're on a spiritual mountaintop. Lord, would you keep us there by the power of the word of God this morning? And so God, please help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the first point here this morning. If God's household is a pillar of truth, we must behave in accordance with the truth. If God's household is a pillar of truth, we must behave in accordance with the truth. First uh, Timothy Chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, for this purpose, Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, let's, let's talk about this here. This is, this is a, a couple verses that have been repeated almost every week in this series because we believe, in, in, and I think it's pretty clear, these verses serve as the, the thesis of the letter, the, the main point of the letter. Paul says to Timothy, here is why I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And this household of God that he's talking about is the church of the living God. Us gathered here today, the called out ones of Jesus Christ, the set apart ones, the assembly of God. This is how we're to behave. And, and now let me stop there and then I'll, I'll get to the, to the back part of these verses here. Whose household is this? This is God's household. Uh, when, when I was younger and I was an athlete, and I'm no longer an athlete, that's very apparent to me as I play sports in the backyards with my kids. You, you used to not try to run fast, and then when your almost seven-year-old truly outruns you in a football game, you're like, hey, I'm not an athlete anymore. 
But back when I was an athlete, we would do corny things. Like we'd gather at the middle, middle of a football field and we'd jump up and down on a logo and we'd say, whose house? Anyone know the end of that? Whose house? Yeah, stupid. I don't know why we did it. Just, I don't know, testosterone out of control on a football. I don't know. But I, as we gather here today, we need to remind ourselves, whose household is this? You already answered it. Whose is it? And now and notice that as I say household, who I'm pointing to. I'm not pointing to the walls of this building. I'm not talking about an entity that is a 501c3 certified by a governmental body. I'm talking about the people of God. We are God's people. We are God's people. Come on, we are God's people. That means get, let your heart beat a little fast for that. If you didn't know what that meant, that's what that means. And, and, and then it unpacks that. As a household of God, we are the church of the living God. Now, this, this letter is about how this church, this household, is to behave. And so if, if as we have walked through 1 Timothy, if you're like, man, some of these Sundays feel like so procedural. It's because that's what this letter is ultimately for. To teach the church of the living God how they're to function and to operate and to behave in the midst of the household. Just like a good family household, at times uh, during dinner we'll talk about, here's what it means to be part of our household. God cares so much for his church that he gets down into the detail level to go, here's how I want leadership to function. Here's what I want this to look like. I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us wondering how his household is to operate. You with me? And so that is what this church is about. Now, why is this so important? That we behave and function and, and, and follow the way God has called his household to operate because of what it says here. The church of the living God, and this church of a living God at the end of uh, verse 15, it says, is a pillar and buttress of what? Of truth. And so all of us know what a pillar is. A pillar Hold something up. It's the best I got for you, okay? Not an engineer, not an architect. I don't even know who deals with pillars, architects, engineers, or what. But I do know that a pillar bears weight. A pillar holds something up. A pillar is a structural support. And so I, I just want us to think about this, that the household of God is the church of the living God and is to be a pillar of the truth, is to hold up the truth. But not only a pillar, uh, Paul adds a second visual to this, but it's also a buttress of the truth. Uh, this is probably something we talk less about in our day-to-day, -day, but a, if a pillar comes under something to hold it up, a buttress comes against something. So strengthening a wall, uh, 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 wedged up against a wall to provide extra support. And so the, the church of the living God is a place that the truth is to be held up and the truth is to be uh, come alongside. We have to be a place built on truth. Now, if the church is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth, we got to talk about what we mean by truth. Sadly, in our day, we have to talk about what we mean by truth, don't we? A truth, this, this word truth that you have here, it, it literally means to hide nothing. This word, literal, at its literal level in Greek, means to hide nothing. So truth is that which accords with reality. 
Truth is that which accords with reality. And listen, we don't get to decide what our reality is. Truth is that which, is that which accords with reality, and God has decided what reality is. And so this, this kind of can, can, can flow against the, our cultural current in a bit. A, a couple of years ago, right, you would often hear a phrase like, that's my truth. That might be your truth, but this is my truth. The reality is only truth is God's truth. And God gets to define what is true. And so the church of the living God is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. That which accords with reality as defined by God. That's one of the reasons as we talk about the way this household operates, what we try to do week in and week out is just open this book, set it here, make sure the preacher, whoever proclaiming this book, stands behind this book and says, thus says the Lord. Thank God for the word of God that shows us what truth is. And so, remember what we're doing, okay? Remember, let me stop and remind us what we're doing. We're trying to anchor to some truth points because we know what's coming, that there's this temptation of being led astray by lies. You all with me? And so one of these truth points we're anchoring to is this connection to a household of God built on the truth of God. Without this anchor point, we are susceptible to be led spiritually astray. And, and, and this has deep implications. What this means is that we actually have to be engaged in the household. We have to be part of the household. We have to gather with the household. Why? Because we need each other to help us discern that which is true in accordance with the word of God and that which is false and lies. Don't we, do we not need each other in that? And so this why in our day and age, like, if, if you're watching online, praise God for technology, but why it's so important that we embody together. We need to be together. And we need to be active together in the household. Hitching onto one of these truth points, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so... If the church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, we have to nail the understanding of what is the cornerstone of this truth. Let me say that again. If the church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, God's reality as God defines it, we have to nail our understanding of who is the cornerstone of that truth, do we not? And who is the cornerstone of that truth? Right, you got it right. Sunday school answers, right? Always go Jesus. <laughs> You're usually on a good path. This is exactly where Paul goes next. Look at what he says in verse 16. Great indeed, and I want you to say these next two words because I believe it's important for the understanding. Great indeed, we, we, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then here is the confession he was, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Second part of this message, and I want you to continue to see the connection. Second part of the message, if God's household is a pillar of truth, we must hold to the true confession of Christ. 
If God's household is a pillar of truth, we must hold to the true confession of Christ. Now, now as, I, as I lead into the section, let me ask this. Mo- many of us in the room, most of us in the room, have confessed Christ as Lord. What we're now going to do as we walk through this confession is make sure we understand the one we are confessing. Does that make sense? Most of us confess Christ as Lord. We need to make sure that the Jesus we're confessing is the Jesus of the Bible. How many of you have been flipping through channels, stop on a TV preacher? Love to stop on TV preachers. And as you listen, you, you, none of you do? Come on, you got to. Just be careful sometimes. But as you listen, you go, huh, he's saying Jesus, but I sense that the doctrine that is undergirding the Jesus he's saying is vastly different from the Jesus I understand in the Bible. And this is exactly why Paul goes where he goes next. So the, the church, the household of the living God, it's a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And I believe why Paul goes where he goes next, it, to confess Jesus Christ is to say, Jesus is the cornerstone of that truth. Now, he says something before he gets into the confession. He says, great indeed, we confess is the, is the what? The mystery of godliness. Whoa. What in the world is the mystery of godliness. Let me start with godliness. Uh, these two words here, mystery and godliness, are two of Paul's favorite words in this letter. He uses the word godliness nine times throughout the book. So in six chapters, you have the word godliness nine times. Now, what, what does Paul mean when he's talking about godliness? Very simply, what Paul means is a God-centeredness. Godliness is a God-centeredness. So, so think about that now. What does it look like for us to live a godly life? It means we're living a God-centered life. What does it look like for us to be godly employees or employers? It means that God is at the center of the vocational call on our life. What does it mean to have a godly marriage, a marriage full of godliness? It means God is at the center of that marriage. This is what Paul means when he says godliness. He's talking of a God-centeredness. All in favor of a more God-centered life? How this would solve all those, those times that arise in life where we find ourselves going, what in the world is the purpose of dot, dot, dot? You know what the purpose is? God's glory. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the, all to the, all to the glory of God. Right, We know it, we, we can recite that, but when we live like that at a street level, that is the heart of godliness. It's a God-centeredness. What does that mean for when, when, um, when, when, when something in life lets us down? As I've said before in my preaching, when, when the excitement of driving south for vacation is met with the other side on having to drive back north going, ugh, it didn't quite do what I hoped it would do. And how we're let down again and again and again throughout life. Ask yourself the question, every time you sense one of those letdowns of life, to say, where was God at the center of that? Godliness is a God-centeredness. Now, he says this is a mystery of godliness. And as Pastor Mark so eloquently said last week, when when Paul talks about mystery, he's not necessarily talking about, like, let's all get our theological magnifying glass out and go, What's the mystery to be solved today? And we all huddle up and we all give our best guesses of what that mystery is. No, he's talking about 
something that has been veiled throughout redemptive history that has now been revealed by God. And so what is this mystery of godliness? What is it where godliness has been revealed? And then he just gives a confession of Christ. A confession that I believe is him probably quoting a part of a hymn. And the confession, I want it on the screen, I want you to see it. The confession is this. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, I want us to walk through this line by line. And I want us to walk through this line by line because I don't want us to just gain an understanding of what this confession of Christ means. I want us to worship over the understanding of it. You with me? I don't want us to just understand, okay, that line means. I want the understanding of that line to sink deep down into our heart and elicit affection in us over who the cornerstone of this household is. And so the first line says, he was manifested in the flesh. To, to make something manifest is to reveal or to make known. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, condescended and came down from the splendor of heaven, was born as a baby into this world, lived a sinless life. His, his moral character revealed the character of God the Father. At our house, we're trying to talk about God, just, you know, bring God into the language of every day. And, and our six, five, and two, three-year-olds ask a question in their six, five, and two, three-year-old way, which is the same question we ask in different ways as adults. And so as we're talking about God, they'll often go, but where is God? Can you relate? But what, Daddy, where is God? Where is he? Understand something of the power of God being manifest among us. That if we want to ultimately know who God is, he's given us his word to teach us who he is, and he's given us his word in the flesh, his son, that we look at and say, we want to know what God is like, look to Christ. John chapter 1 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, worship now. You worshiping now? For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Come on. He was manifest in the flesh. Second line, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Now, that word vindicated, right, when we hear the word vindicated today, we're, we're often thinking of, of someone who is maybe at the center of blame being free from that blame. Vindicated also means to prove true. And so Jesus Christ... The one, the second person of the Trinity, Son of God, Savior of the world, has been proved true by the Spirit of God. I, I want you to see the Trinity that's dripping all over this confession of Christ. How was Jesus proven true by the Spirit of God? First look to his baptism. 
He's baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water. You tell me what happened. What happened next? Spirit of God, like a dove descending down on him, and a voice from heaven says, This is my son. This is my beloved son, whom, whom I love. And so you see this vindication or this approved or declared true by the Spirit of Jesus at his baptism. Do you want to know where else you see this vindication of the Spirit? In his raising from the dead. Sign, sealed, delivered, boom, this is the Son of God, Savior of the world. Are you worshiping yet? So he is manifested in the flesh. He's vindicated by the Spirit. He's seen by angels. That resurrection I just mentioned, Jesus was seen. He was seen by human agents and he was seen by heavenly beings. The one who was once dead, flatlined without a pulse, has risen again, seen and testified not only by human agents but by the heavenly beings as well. In that resurrection, he is proclaimed among the nations. Listen to me now. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through. It's true in Indiana, and it's true in India. It's true in North Carolina, and it's true in North Korea. It's true somewhere else I had in my notes to say right now. And it's true across another part of the world that I forgot right now, okay? Jesus must be proclaimed among the nations. This is why our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples. It's not a mission we thought around, we, we, we thought around well, what should the mission of our church be? And we spent weeks whiteboarding it. We just opened to Matthew chapter 28, and we look at a great commission that he left us. And he says, go, where? Into all the world. And do what? Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let Jesus be proclaimed among the nations. I got more on that, but that's for another sermon. But once he's proclaimed among the nations, he's to be believed on in the world. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the, he gave his only, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so all over the world right now, this spinning ball we call the globe, Jesus must be proclaimed. And as Jesus is proclaimed, that message is to be received. How is that message received? The biblical word that is used again and again is belief. It is faith. Jesus is to be believed on. Listen here, those of you gathered in this church right here in central Indiana, have you believed on Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? It is not enough to just know facts about him. It's not enough that you were born in central Indiana to a Christian parents. Hear that now. You must receive the fact that Jesus, a substitute sufferer, has gone to a cross to pay the penalty of death for your sin. He was laid in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's now called you to himself by faith. Have you believed in that message?
believed on in the world, and then here it is now, taken up in glory. Come on. Where is Jesus now? Seated at the right hand of the Father. One day to come back. This is the cornerstone of the Christ we confess. This is the cornerstone of the church, this Christ we confess. These are the anchor points. This this connection to a church of Jesus Christ and this right right, uh, confession of the true Jesus Christ. We have to be attached, connected to these two truth points in order to withstand what we're about to see here in chapter 4. So, God's household is to be this pillar of truth. And our connection to it is one of these anchors we must have. This, this right confession of Jesus is to be this, uh, 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 an anchor of truth. And now we need to get to this third part. Third part is this. In a day where lies abound, in a day where lies abound, we must commit deeply to the household of God and a right confession of Christ. In a day when lies abound, we must commit deeply to the household of God and a right confession of Christ. Verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now that, all right, we already said, that sounds super heavy, right? And if, you're, and if your mind works like mine, when you come across super heavy demonic language like that, you mean like, okay, what's that mean? Like a bunch of witches are going to lead us astray? We, we often think of like the, the farthest extremes of, of demonic work. But I want us to keep reading here and I want us to understand that it's much more subtle. Do you know the enemy is crafty? Did you know he's crafty? How many of you this week are like, shoot, got me again? Right? He's crafty. And so I want you to understand what Paul is using such heavy language about. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And so there's these, these conscience-seared liars teaching the things of demons. Now, what are they teaching? Verse 3, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, Paul, I know they shouldn't teach those things, but really? Is, does that like align with like teachings of demons through conscience-seared liars? In church, it does. And we must understand why it does. What is Paul doing here? He is calling out seemingly spiritual teaching that attacks, directly attacks and undermines the simple message of the gospel. Do you hear that? Think about what Paul has just said. There are some very spiritually sounding teaching that directly attacks and undermines the power of the message of the gospel. These false teachers here that we see repeatedly again and again throughout the book that, that Paul is telling Timothy to deal with, they are adding to the gospel, mer- the, 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 the gospel message. There's, they're forbidding marriage. Does God forbid marriage? I hope not. 
They're requiring abstinence. Don't eat these foods. But Paul says, verse 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so you have these teachers who are teaching Things that are undermining the message of the gospel. Listen to me, church. Let's rejoice in the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by grace through faith plus. Plus don't get married. Plus don't eat these foods. Plus this, plus that. Paul calls this teaching that undermines the message of the gospel being led astray by deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. May we never deviate from the joy-inducing freedom and truth that our salvation is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. How many of you are thankful this week who totally blew it this week? You don't have to raise your hand. You're like, really? Do I got to raise my hand? How many of you are thankful for that? That your salvation does not ultimately rest on your spiritual merit. That your salvation does not ultimately rest on a, a list of like, hey, don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this. And oh, by the way, those of you who've grown up in, in you know, maybe Christian homes from the beginning, who all you've seen the Christian messages is a list of a moral code, it is so much better than that. That you would know that you know the Savior, Jesus Christ today who upon your belief gives you his spirit who dwells in you and who bears fruit in your life of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, all of this to say, we have to be diligent and discerning to begin to understand when there's seemingly spiritual teachings that are undermining the message of the gospel. Isn't it true? Can it happen? friend of yours is, you know, super into this, this new thing spiritually. And they're like, you have to check this out. You, you got it. it. It's changing my life. And as you begin to wade into it, you, you start to go, I don't know about this. Begin to ask some questions. What is this, this quote-unquote new cutting-edge spiritual thing? What is this teaching about the doctrine of who Jesus is? What are the implications on the message of the gospel? Here's a good one. Where is the word of God in it? Y'all listen to me. There is so much out there that is being called Christian and spiritual in which the word of God is way in the background instead of in the forefront. Run. And the way we combat the bombardment of spiritually, really good spiritually sounding lies comes back to where we've been throughout the passage. It's through being firmly anchored, connected to the household of God, and firmly anchored in our right understanding of the Christ we confess. The firmer we understand who Jesus is, the quicker when all of these like really spiritually sounding but liar type things come, we go, no, no, no. That doesn't accurately reflect who my Christ is. And so I want to give you a homework assignment as it pertains to this, okay? Can I give homework assignments? I'll grade you next week, okay? 
I want you to read the book of Galatians this week. There's six chapters. You can take a chapter a day. And, and I want you to read the book of Galatians for this reason. I want us to exercise our muscle of beginning to discern spiritually sounding things that aren't in line with the truth of the gospel message. It's exactly what Paul's doing as he writes to the Galatians here. He's going, whoa, I can't believe you've all been led astray by this false gospel. Like, I won't even call it a gospel. And he begins throughout that book to help them understand and come back to a true gospel. And so a, a couple questions, a couple questions that I want you to think about this week with your homework assignment. How is the gospel being undermined and attacked by false teaching? I want you to, to ask that question as you study the book of Galatians this week. How did Paul go about correcting it? How did Paul help them discern and come back to what was truth and what, was lie, what were lies about the gospel message? And then how are the believers instructed in practical living with the true gospel back in the forefront? That's really important. And so when we have this right understanding of the gospel, that gets lived, does it not? That has practical implications on how we live at home and work and school, wherever. So this is our homework assignment this week. Will you do it? Yeah? Chapter a day of Galatians. Us working out our muscles of knowing how to discern that which accords with gospel truth and that which does not. Amen? Redeemer, if you would, stand to your feet as we prepare to worship. God's household is a pillar of God's truth. Come on. Right? Proclaiming a true confession of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to protect us as God's people from lies. Church, let's sing together.